Hello and welcome to While You Were Steeping, a tea and curatorial culture podcast. Is that right? Is that the right word? I don't know. No? No. Okay. Well, we're, we're running with it. Uh, grab a cup of tea and let's get started. <laughs> Welcome to the second instalment of our Tea Trade Tales. Last week we spoke about the Silk Road and now we are moving on to Trade by Sea with the East India Company. And So we're jumping forward by about, what, 1,500 years nearly? Yes. So the Silk Road was a long time. Uh, and mm. we are now, what, when are we sort of about the 1600s now? Pretty much right on the beginning of the 17th century, which is the 1600s, yeah. Which is kind of where we left off with Russian caravan, you know? That's right, yeah. So, and, and there's, a, there's a lovely little intersection there. So It's almost um, like we planned this or something. <laughs> <laughs> so what's worth noting here is um, we're, we're going to kind of gloss over one part of history, uh, which is that Spain and Portugal at this point have actually managed to get tea back to Spain and Portugal by sea, and Spain and Portugal are kind of leading uh, leading the race on sea travel and sea trade at this point. They've got really impressive uh, naval fleets and, and such. Um, and England is kind of straggling behind. But what's really interesting is that at this point, we're in the 1500s, 1600s, coming up on the 1600s, and... It's not really occurred to anybody just yet to actually try and cultivate tea for themselves. No. Um, now, at this point, Marco Polo has just managed um, to scurry on back to Italy with his stolen silkworms. So um, the secret of making silk is starting to make its way through Europe. But um, Russia, the Netherlands, so the Dutch... And England are all starting to kind of get their eye on possibly, you know, cultivating their own tea. Um, mm. But no one's really done it yet. No one's, no one's stolen the secret or stolen the plant. Which is wild because we've been trading tea now for a long time. Long time. Again, over a millennium of, of just caravanning back and forth, selling for goods. And people still don't, like, they don't know how tea is made. Like, they just don't know anything about it. Except that it's yeah, a plan. It's really, probably. really interesting. Again, China's really good at keeping their secrets. Mm-hmm. So, what's important to note, kind of right leading up to uh, the creation of the East India Company, is the conflict between England and Spain, uh, which we refer to as the defeat of the Spanish Armada. So the conflict between uh, England and Spain. So at the time, uh, Queen Elizabeth I was the ruler of England and King Philip II was the ruler of Spain. And they had had a long history of conflict and antagonism between the two of them. And uh, Elizabeth got wind that um, fr- from her spies that Spain was planning to invade and to attempt to uh, conquer England because, um, well... Religious warfare, as per usual, <laughs> it's always the way. It's always it's always a holy war, and so they were going to invade by sea, and they had a fleet of one hundred and thirty ships, forty of which were warships, um, you know, gunships gun basically, uh, and then the rest were going to be laden with soldiers that were then going to mount a very heavy foot invasion on foot invasion of England. 
Um, so it was a very impressive force. But the UK managed to get a couple of quick retaliatory uh, or preemptive strikes in uh, before before Spain made their move, which kind of um, it crippled their key ports, and that in turn uh, staved them off for a couple of months, which then in time in turn bought England time to really properly try and fight back when this invasive force arrived. And sure enough, they did. The Spanish Armada arrives in England off the coast of Plymouth and England pushes them back and England makes some very clever moves. And then also by by sheer good luck for England, the weather really screws over the Spanish um, and their ships get blown back out to sea by a terrible wind, after which point they've already suffered a couple of losses and damages. So they start making their way back to Spain. They, they basically retreat and on the way back, they get ravaged by bad weather and disease. And the Spanish Armada is basically a, a complete mess by the time it arrives back in Spain. Britain feels really chuffed about themselves and are basically, at this point, ready to set themselves up as the leaders of the naval world and naval trade. Incredible. Yeah. How was that for a quick Horrible Histories? (laughs) It was great, actually. Thank you. Um, So, Michael, how does the East India Company come about after this? Right. So... Then, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the better part of about 200 merchants um, approach, approach well, really, approach the crone. The crone? The crown. <laughs> well. <laughs> I mean, oh, God, if we wanted to be really derogatory, we could say the crone. They approach the crown um, and ask for a royal charter to incorporate as the East India Company. Uh, to basically be given the right to trade in India and and Southeast Asia uh, on behalf of the crown, on behalf of the, the British uh, government and, mm. and throne. And she does. They, they, they give them the royal charter, and so the company was formed. And they're, so they're given sort of like a monopoly, right, on trade in that area? Yes, so they had this huge business monopoly, and specifically on tea, but we'll get to that. But they were also, when they were given this royal charter, they were given permission to wage war on behalf of the crown, on behalf of the United Kingdom. Well, it wasn't Mm. the United Kingdom yet, it was just England at that point, but on behalf of England. And that's exactly what they did. They had their own military force that they used to enforce trade customs, and also to begin collecting taxes. So once they were properly set up in India, they started basically encroaching on and governing huge territories within India and then taxing their citizens and taxing the growers of the tea and and basically, yeah, becoming everything we know British colonial stereotypes to be. Yeah. The sort of uncom- this is this is where we're getting into the uncomfortable history of tea, <laughs> you know. The uncomfortable history of tea and the forever uncomfortable history of Britain, you know. We we see yeah. this yeah, and white people everywhere that <laughs> everywhere that Britain goes. Yeah, yes, which is like it's it's was quite wild looking at all of this stuff, being like, oh, just Britain, just like just ruled India. Okay, sure, yeah. you know, like. For trading, yeah, I mean, I sort of found most of my uh my research took me to around sort of the eighteen hundreds mid eighteen hundreds as well, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to talk in more detail about the Opium Wars, which uh, that's going to be another episode, but that's around the same time as well. This is when tea is becoming super popular in Britain. And China's producing about mm-hmm. 250,000 tons of tea a year, of which Britain wow. is consuming 134,000 of those tons. Um, wow. So basically exactly half. Yeah. Just a little over half. Yes. So in the 1830s, um, they started to become really concerned about the fact that the Chinese had this monopoly on tea because it, like, Britain is consuming around one pound per person per year. Wow. You know, which is not even that much compared to like today's standards, but like this is still, you know, it's still a, a fairly expensive product as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, it's not just like, I mean, it's mass consumed, but it's still a bit of a luxury item. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we get to sort of East India Company are trying to find a way to take away this monopoly on tea from China. And there's sort of two routes that are taken. Um, one is through the cultivation of Assam tea. So Assam is a, a province in India where mm-hmm. scientists found a sample of this tea and it, this is like in the 1830s, so this is sort of um, before there's like a sort of like the all-out conflict over tea, you know. And from the 1830s, they're sort of like trying to cultivate a Samaka tea in Assam, um, which they do by you know oppressing the <laughs> local people, taking away their lands, giving it to people to plant tea, and you know kind of enslaving the locals. Oh, Britain to. <laughs> Uh, to create the tea and yeah and but it, it, they had so sort of because it was a different variety a different flavor they sort of had to test it in in britain and it was sort of positively received so which is why they started taking away everyone's lands to make this tea but uh it sort of took them a while to uh be producing enough tea there you know and mm-hmm. also chinese tea was the standard mm. um for tea production so there was still bent on getting Chinese tea and sort of discovering the secret of Chinese tea. Well, and also at this point, they would have been having a lot of issues with uh, the market as well because competitors start to get on the scene. So we get the mm. Dutch uh, the Dutch East India Trading Company and we also get piracy, which, um, I mean, all of us know the East India Trading Company from pirates of the caribbean uh, and there's there's much truth in that as soon as as soon as pirates and other dominating european forces started to come onto the market all of a sudden the east india trading company had real trouble um making tea profitable yeah absolutely because prices were driven down by competitors yeah um so in 1843 uh, we have a man named Robert Fortune, uh, very fortuitous. And <laughs> he was a botanist sponsored by the Royal Horticultural Society to travel through China and obtain plant specimens. Uh, and he yes. took three-year journey and came back and wrote a book about it, which is very <laughs> um, blatantly self-titled, Three Years' Wanderings in the Northern Provinces of China, including a visit to the tea, silk, and cotton countries. <laughs> Excellent. We, um, love, we love a good explicit <laughs> title. Nice and clear. Yeah. And so the East India Company very saw this very obvious title and was like, this guy could potentially find out how tea is produced, made, 
all that sort of stuff. So they pay him a lot of money to sneak back into uh, into China and he becomes like a botanical spy. Um, so he, in 1848, sets off to Shanghai and treks up to tea-producing regions and he actually disguises himself as a Chinese, like, aristocrat. Like, he shaves his head so he's bald. Amazing. And wears, like, Chinese wealthy garb. The very first Mission Impossible. Yeah, and he manages to integrate himself into green tea factories, learn techniques, and he gathers over 13,000 plants and 10,000 seeds. However, he really wants to get to the Fujian province, which is where the black tea is made, which obviously is England's, like, crack. So... (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yep. So um, he manages to get up there. And he takes not only seeds from there, but he also takes back Fujianese black tea farmers who know the process and then takes them into India where they... So he smuggled people as well? Yes. That's amazing. And that would have been genuinely terrifying as well because, I mean, I don't know about tea. I'm willing to bet it was the same. But um, sericulture, which is uh, the art of making silk, was if you shared the secrets of sericulture, that was punishable by death in China for, like, at least a thousand years. Um, Whoa. Yeah, which is, again, probably why Marco Polo snuck back to Venice. (laughs) But, yeah, so... I can I can imagine that would have been a very dangerous journey for Robert Fortune to get back out with his smuggled farmers and did you, when when you say 13,000 plants yeah he can't possibly have taken the actual plants with him but I think he must I don't know I think when they're talking okay. about smuggling it's still like probably like three carts full of <laughs> like it's not like something in a yeah. bag you know <laughs> Yeah, um. <laughs> and and smuggled like onto a boat, or yeah. onto a caravan or something. Yeah, not stuffed un- under his jacket. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, it's not just like the one sample they're going to genetically modify and recreate. You know, <laughs> like. Um, but yeah. Um. So in 1870, 90% of the tea is still made in China, but by the 1900s, China, China's like monopoly on tea drops to 10%. So it goes from 90 to 10% wow. in, what, 30 years? Because they steal the secrets yeah. of tea. And so it's kind of like actually horrible because Britain comes in, steals this secret from China, one of the like most coveted resources in the world at this point, um, and kind of decimates this culture's trading yeah. circle. <laughs> England. England to a T. Yeah. <laughs> to a T. <tea. laughs> comedy <laughs> just interestingly just like i have found really uh just it's fascinating how some teas sort of were created from these situations so chai for instance um was created as a result of uh the british owned india tea association trying to sell more tea to indian people they started a campaign where they were encouraging factories mines and textile mills to provide tea breaks to their workers and so <laughs> Uh, it was a, like just an attempt to get them to buy tea to do this thing. And the uh, sort of locals would then mix this tea with spices and sugar and milk and things like that because sugar and milk was still was like the British way of doing it, but they added more sugar and milk 
and added their spices. And that's literally how chai was born. Wow. Well, particularly Marsala chai. And then Moroccan, the Moroccan mint tea, which is a you know pretty famous tea tradition. That is based on a, a kind of tea called gunpowder tea, um, yes. which is still around today, which is when a tea leaf is rolled into a little tight pellet that looks like gunpowder. Um, and that was actually introduced to North Africa by the British in sort of 18th, 19th centuries. And kind of as a result of the Crimean War, which was in the 1850s, um, they had to divert a lot of their ships from, like these Indi- East India Company had to divert a lot of their ships to Morocco. Right. And they incorporated this gunpowder green tea into their tea ceremony, including mint. That's really cool. And that's how it was that's how it became like really widely available. Yeah, right. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, and one other particularly awful part of um the history here is that the East India Company was also responsible for slave trading as well. Um so so they brought people mm. from Western Africa to India to uh to help with the growing of tea in in india and to help with the trading but um being that they were imported from west africa um that they weren't they weren't you know employees they were they were treated and sold as slaves which is particularly messed up and again particularly british yeah and i also couldn't find any like concrete information on what like you know i'm sure that the Indian inhabitants were probably also enslaved. <laughs> you know, I doubt they were paid. No, no, they they were paid, um, or or they were actually even employed by the company. And in some instances, they were employed. Um, okay, they they became so heavily employed that that's how uh, the rebellions started to begin. Was that at one point there were like eighty percent of the employees of the East India Company in India were people you know people from india were were indian people uh and so you know there were times where they would decide screw this we've had enough um right. and they would uprise but then there were multiple instances where then they were um beaten back by british military forces which again gross yes. but yeah mm. yeah so the conflict riddled past of tea and the most i think the most conflict riddled past is how this exploitation and as you said the 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 theft of tea and the theft of that culture we then get to the opium wars where england had the nerve mm. to try and turn the whole trade up on its head by bringing another another product into the game and using it to well change the value of tea Yes, yes. Which and again, this is all happening that sort of mid eighteen hundreds. It's like just this breaking point. Mm. So come back next week for that. We're going to jump into reviewing some more teas now. But next week we're going to fly into the opium wars and how they precipitated yet another massive shift in the history of tea. So the first tea that we have for today is the end of an era. It's our rabbit hole. It's our last rabbit hole tea, our farewell to the rabbit hole. Um, And they were so good to us. They were our our very first 
Our very first providers of tea. So we'll be sad to see them go, but that's okay. We love you, Rabbit Hole. We love you, Rabbit Hole. Um, but again, no bias. So we'll see. We'll see <laughs> how the how their Waddle Seed breakfast goes. So, what can you tell us about Waddle Seed breakfast, Hayden? Well, this tea is is sort of their black tea, like English breakfast offering. In the same native tea selection that we've been trying from. Yes, indeed it is. And the native ingredient that they've paired the English breakfast tea with is, of course, wattle seed. Um, now, I actually Googled wattle seed quickly, and it's kind of like, if, you, if you're talking like ancient superfoods, like this is actually definitely one of them. It's like high in a lot of different minerals and actually a high protein, like, snack. <laughs> protein? Yeah. Okay, cool. So it's ancient indigenous Australian plant-based protein. So there now, you go. The, the tea itself is very fine and black again. Mm. Um, not, not as fine as some that we've tried, certainly not as fine yeah. as the great grandfather's, but it's, it's a pretty uh, small grind for the tea, I found. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely not like, I mean, it's definitely ground. Like, let's just say that. Yes. And... Upon smelling it, you're particularly good at this, as we discovered last week with the Pasito. What is that that I'm smelling in there amidst the tea? It, I want to say it's like licorice or... Pressure. <laughs> um, honestly... It's if, kind it's, of easier to smell in, in the loose leaf. Yeah, I was just smelling the loose you. leaf. I think it's actually, it's kind of like chocolate, isn't it? It's like Yes, it smells like chocolate, like dark chocolate. Yeah, exactly. It's it's sort of like sort of the cocoa, and that's what what wattle seed is sort of like known a bit as being like a sort of chocolate, cocoa, cacao, coffee Substitute. sort of. Okay. Yeah. I thought it might be the vanilla extract playing tricks with my senses there, but no. that makes more sense because it does smell to me like a dark coffee, uh, dark chocolate rather. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm sure the vanilla extract is there to sort of enhance the idea that it is chocolatey. Mm-hmm. Um, to give that sort of like almost you know dairyish or desserty flavor. Um, so the brewing instructions for this is of course a teaspoon per cup, boiling water because it's a black tea, and four to five minutes steeping time. You can I do gave it... mine a solid five. Actually, yeah. no, I I think I overbrewed this a little. I think I left it in for about six or seven. So right. oops, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> I think I did five, and um, yeah, we're gonna try it firstly without milk and sweetening and then we're going to try it with milk and sweetening because black tea shall we give it a go let's do it Mm. oh yeah that's nice Mm. you definitely get in the aftertaste the sort of like smooth like Mm -hmm. like chocolatey yeah kind of i don't know I don't I don't want to compare to like a tea tea tea, but I'm going to. Um if you've ever had New York breakfast, mm. uh, which is supposed to be the sort of like maple syrupy, like coffee, yeah, coffee and waffles or that sort of vibe, I think you definitely get that. And similarly, I had a tea that I brought back from the States um when I went there and it was a it was a chocolate rooibos tea. So it was it was a tea that was basically meant to be a hot chocolate substitute. And this kind of reminds me of that, only much subtler, much smoother. It's, I, because I'm not a big black tea drinker in terms of I don't like my tea particularly bitter or strong, this, Mm. I could 
very comfortably drink this most mornings. This is really sitting yeah. hot. Yeah, like mm-hmm. the end is very smooth. Yeah. And weirdly also, I never drink my black tea black. Normally I add sugar and milk. Mm. But this I actually probably could drink. That's actually, I agree. I'm the, I'm the same. And I agree. Nonetheless. But I can, I can only imagine that adding milk and sugar is going to make this. I was going to say, yeah. let's, let's give it a go. I've actually done honey and, of course, having my regular soy milk. Oh, you've put honey in this one? Yeah. Okay. So I actually didn't sweeten any of the other ones. Spoilers. Oh, okay. See, I've got my honey sitting ready for the, for the other two, but we'll get, we'll get to that. So, okay. I actually only put about half a teaspoon of sugar in. I used to, I used to be a total sugar fiend, but I'm getting old and boring. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I personally, just like on a personal anecdotal note, I actually stopped eating like sugar in tea a long time ago, and I yeah. replaced it with just like an artificial sweetener, which stevia. I know, like, uh, no, I don't. It's not. It's like completely artificial, not even like right. stevia, because I, I find stevia has like a pre-recognizable taste, whereas this is just like it literally just adds sweetness. It like tricks your taste buds into sweetness. See, I don't um, like which... refined sugars. I'm not like I never have white sugar, but I'll usually mm. just have raw sugar instead. All right. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of sort of like discussion about whether or not artificial sweeteners are like terrible for you because they're just chemicals and that sort of thing. But you know, another time. <laughs> Let's try right. this one. Here we go. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to be 100% honest, mm-hmm. and I put too much honey in, and so it's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, but it's just honey drink. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good to know. I, interesting, it's funny that you say that, though. I've got a similar feeling about this, which is, it is really nice with the milk and the sugar. Mm. But I think I preferred it without, because the milk and the sugar mm. in this instance, because it, it's not as strong as other black teas. The milk and the sugar have kind of diluted its flavor profile to the point where it's less interesting to me now. Okay. It was well, actually, interesting. Well, and very, again, very unusual for me. Normally I would need my milk and my sugar in a black tea, but this. Because maybe it's not just, maybe I didn't put too much honey in. Maybe it's just that. It's, yeah. The flavor. Yeah. It's not a super strong tea. Um, yeah. I, lo- yeah, I like look, it. I've... I like it a lot, but I think I would probably keep it just, mm. just black. And then, you know what? I just added some more of my black tea into my milky one to mm-hmm. sort of try and strengthen it up. And it's still sort of like, I can get it a little bit more now. Mm-hmm. I think you'd have to just go really light on the sweetening, which is kind of a good thing. Like, mm. you know, you're not drinking extra sweetness, <laughs> extra mm. sugars and things like that. Well, okay. I suppose we should move on. But thank you very much to the Rabbit Hole, the team at the Rabbit Hole who were so great at reaching... Um, responding to our very first reach out and and sending us all their wonderful teas from their Australian native tea selection. You can check them out online. Just Google the Rabbit Hole uh, Tea Bar and they're based in New South Wales uh, in Australia. Okay. So the next provider that we've been sent teas from is Tea Tonic. Tea Tonic uh, is a company, of, uh, a huge company, actually. They've got a massive variety of tea, and they're based uh, in the middle of Melbourne on Russell Street in Abbotsford, which is uh, one of the northern suburbs in Melbourne in Victoria. Again, in Australia, an Australian provider. 
Um, so you can actually visit their tea factory and their tea factory has a store attached to it. It's open to the public, which is pretty cool. And of course, all of their product is online. Now, the lovely Eliza from Teetonic sent us Eliza. a massive <laughs> container of tea. Thanks, Eliza. And Peggy. And in this massive sample pack that we were sent, which you can buy online, there were 63 <laughs> tea bags. Which we were not expecting. Of, <laughs> which we were not expecting of 24 different varieties. So we'll see how many different seasons it takes us to get through them. Now, we did want to have a chat about one thing, which is that... Um, when they send all these individual tea bags, of course they come individually wrapped in um, in a paper wrapping as well, which we're not super wild about just because of um, sustainability and and eco friendliness. But it seems like the tea bags are recyclable. Yeah, it seems like the tea bag coverings are they seem to be recyclable. And of course, I God knows I'll definitely be using my tin to store other stuff in the future. Yeah, but again, it, it's metal, which is a highly recyclable material absolutely so the and the cool thing as well is that you can buy their teas loose leaf on their website you don't have to buy them in tea bags um and it looks like even their refill tins for their tea tins are pretty sustainable as well so i had Hmm. a bit i had a bit of a a bit of a lefty greeny freak out moment but it seems like they're actually pretty cool when once you once you look into it a little bit more yeah and the tea bags themselves are actually 100 percent organic uh unbleached cotton that's right well there you go so, which tea shall we try first? Uh, I think let's go. We haven't. Let's try the rooibos tea. We haven't even really yes. talked about rooibos on here before. No. For those who don't know, rooibos is uh, it's very popular in in South Africa. Uh, it's it's a whole different plant. Um, it's related to the honeybush, if you know that. Uh, but it's pretty much as close as you're going to get to a black tea of as in Camellia sinensis sort of variety plant without it actually being that plant. Uh, it is also, for those who are caffeine conscious, completely caffeine free. So this one is called Tea Party Tea. Now, interestingly, these two teas that we've um, tried, both this one and the next one, uh, had steeping recommendations of 100, uh, 100 degree water, so boiling water, at 5 to 10 minutes, um, which is mm. pretty pretty intense. But they are both, I guess, uh, herbal. Um, yeah, which is like one of the advantages of... Uh, of rooibos again is it's kind of it's really falls under the banner of almost like herbal mm. tea because it's you know tea formed from a another plant That's right. um so it can actually be brewed for a long time yeah without going bitter so this tea party tea is uh described as being uplifting and festive and mm. um it only has two ingredients just the rooibos and rose petals so let's give it a go yeah oh wow i oh Oh, whoa. <laughs> Did you get that? The, the the second, oh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's bubblegum. Bubblegum. I guess, I guess. It's not, but that's what I'm getting. You know, like, um, I'm talking the really cheap but amazing bubblegum that would come on a, on a wheel, like hubba bubba oh on those, like, <laughs> yeah, un, un, unraveling yeah, yeah. Re- wheels. Like the huge, like, two metres of bubblegum. Mm-hmm. I, that's so. That's the second taste. The first taste yeah. obviously is not that. That's so interesting. It's, have you had much rooibos in your life? Uh, no, not a lot. There was, as I said, that that chocolatey one that mm. I got in the states, and maybe one or two others, but not a lot. Because um, my sister in law 
is South African. So I've, <laughs> I've tried a fair bit of rooibos. And um, yeah, so it's really interesting that you sort of like, you've grabbed that flavor out there, which I'm like, I can actually, yeah, I can see that. But like, because it's quite a familiar flavor to me, I'm just like, yeah, it's it's rooibos. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, yeah. The rose, the rose petals aren't jumping out at me a lot. No. I like this. It's, 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 it's subtle. To me, it is very much just rooibos. Um, mm. But for those who've never had rooibos, it's, it's a almost like caramelly flavored tea. And it's very sweet. I mean, you can tell why it's sort of related to the honey bush because it does have that flavor of of like kind of maltiness, sweet honey. It would it actually would be a fantastic blend with wattle seed, I think. Mm. Something that really jumped out at me was before I drank it, I took a sniff and it smelled like tiger balm, <laughs> which <laughs> which freaked me out a little and I thought, oh no, what's this going to be like? But fortunately, it does not taste like tiger balm. <laughs> not really at all. Um, <laughs> I also like... Um, I don't know what tiger balm would taste like. <laughs> Poison. Now they do recommend they do recommend adding honey or lemon to taste. So given that I raved so much about Catherine's honey last week, I am going to add some honey and see how I go. <laughs> honey sounds. <laughs> so this um this particular tea, uh, tea tonic. This the set they gave us is uh, quite. It's sort of like listed as organic teas, um, but they are not all certified organic by the ACO. However, this the rooibos tea was certified. The organic. box does specify which ones are and which ones aren't. There you go. This one, the rooibos, actually is certified uh, organic by ACO, which I know from T uh, two again <laughs> that getting things certified organic is actually. A lengthy it's so process. Hard. Yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah, there's a lot of things that can disqualify you from from organic certification mm. for sure. All right, I've I've got my honey in my tea party tea. Let's see how I go. Mm. Ooh, okay, different. It is different. It it really it brings out the honey, and it brings out the bubble gum. It makes it. Uh, pardon? The no, not the, that's the thing. No, the the, the bubblegum taste goes with okay. with the with the honey. So you get the robustness of that rooibos with the smoothness of the honey, but basically with no kind of artificial tasting sweetness. Whereas I had that very odd, like I said, that bubblegum feeling mm. um, when when I drank it straight. But now with the honey, it's got that kind of warmer autumnal, Ooh. you know. Yeah, yeah, that kind of that kind of vibe. Amazing. Mm. This is yeah, and it's a, this is a great tea if you don't want to be drinking sugar. If you're trying to like Ooh. quit having sugar with your your black teas or whatever, this is great as a substitute. If yep. you depend on the caffeine in tea, however, <laughs> it's uh, you might have to <laughs> pop some note. caffeine pills. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess we should move on to our last one for the day. Yes, our last tea is called Bright Spark Tea. Uh, now, this one is a blend of white tea, firstly, uh, which we've also not tried on here before, uh, with ginkgo, uh, bacopa, apple bits, marigold blossoms, natural mulberry, and papaya flavors. And pap- and papaya chunks as well, little papaya Oh, chunks. really? Yep. Okay, great. Um, so it's, like, going to be very fruity. It smells very fruity. Um, 
And we'll see, though, whether or not the uh, the white tea is sort of compromised at all, because white tea is quite a delicate flavor. Mm-hmm. I love that they I love that they gave little descriptions for what each of these teas can be used for in the in their guide here. So for this one, they're saying it's great for memory and study and and brilliant minds. So who knows? Maybe I'll be ready for my my Nobel Prize after we drink this tea. <laughs> we should say the tea tonic, like their sort of idea as a brand, is sort of uh, you know, tea as a tonic. You know, it's it's sort of the the health benefits of these different blends of teas. Yeah, and the founder uh, Lisa Hilbert is also a herbalist. Um, I don't I don't know to what to what extent. I don't know if she's a naturopath or whatever, but uh, she they describe her as being a founder and a herbalist. So seems like they they know their their stuff about. I love white tea as well because it always just makes my like my insides feel good in terms of digestion yeah. and 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 just like clean. I feel clean when I have white tea. Yeah, I mean, and it's your highest antioxidant, uh, like classic tea brew. That you can there you go. That'd do it. All right, here we go. Hmm. Ooh, interesting. I this is yummy. There's a lot in here that I like, and there's one thing in there that I think I meant. I wouldn't normally, like, <laughs> but it's, but I can't pick it out because there's so many ingredients in this one. Is it, are you referring to like the slightly bitter flavor? Um, it could be that. I think it's actually the apple and I like apple, but. I'm getting a, like, I get a, it, it's very fruity to me, you know? Oh, Okay. Like, I, I, to me, this is like the papaya is like, and maybe the apple is like the key flavor. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting the papaya a lot. Um, Which is delicious. Mm. Like, it, it's the fruit. Like, I'm getting just like, like sweet fruit. And actually, like, it does a very good job at being a fruit tea that's actually sweet. I'm getting a bit of the tang from it as well. Mm. It's yeah. Bit, it's a bit tangy. Yeah. Ah. This would actually be great to try chilled, which is one of the suggestions. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I think this might be better chilled because then the sweetness would come out. It would have that really nice iced tea kind of. Yeah, I don't think I'm as sold on this one as you are. Oh, I I don't think if you're looking for a white tea, I don't think this is like the purest white tea um, at all. Definitely not. No. I can't stop drinking it though. Like it's got it's got me really kind of investigative and curious. Yeah, and it kind of it does have a, it does have a lot of layers. It changes quite a lot as you're drinking it. Well, and that's the thing is, I just want to keep drinking it because I want to keep finding out more about it. It yeah, it's it's elusive. <laughs> oh, hey, no, that's what my problem is. There we go. That's I think that's why it's why it's not sitting well with me is that I can't. As I'm drinking it, I can't figure out what it is, so I can't figure out whether or not I like it. Right. I think... I wish I knew exactly what ginkgo tastes like, because I'm like, is it the ginkgo? (laughs) By itself, (laughs) yeah. For sure. Interesting. Okay, hang on. I will try this with honey, because I'm curious as to what that will do. 
again, they do recommend with this one that you can uh, sweeten it with honey or flavor it with lemon if you want to. So I'm going to give it a go again. Catherine's beautiful bee honey. Here we go. I'm going to give it a go with the honey. Interesting. Hang on. Yeah. The honey's overpowered it now, I think. And I didn't put too much in. I put in about maybe a half of a teaspoon. Um, hmm. Well, that is the thing with honey, I guess, is that it is its own unique flavor. It's not just sweetness. And it's hard to it's hard to avoid honey overpowering yeah. a tea. Like when you put, especially when you put like manuka honey in something, because mm. manuka's got that really yeah. thick, gluggy kind of taste to it. Mm. Um, I mean, it's so good for you, but you know, it doesn't taste as good as other kinds of honey. Um, yeah, but yeah, even even this one, I've kind of lost the papaya now. Um, Interesting. Yeah. No, I would recommend sticking with the tea as is. Or actually, maybe lemon would suit it well because of because of all the other fruity flavours in there. Yeah. You know what? I was actually even thinking when we were drinking, I was like, this would be really good with like some like citrus yeah. in there as well. Yeah. but So I didn't but, even okay. realise. I think my winner for the day is definitely the Waddlesea breakfast from the rabbit hole. Mm, I mean, yeah. It's a tough call. I, I, do you know what I want is the... Uh, the rooibos mixed with wattle seed. That's that's my winner for the day. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. I think that might be too complex as a. I don't. I don't know. Would would that work? Do you think? I, I maybe not if you mix the actual like black tea wattle seed, but if just just the like wattle seed itself with the rooibos, I think would be great. Well, I'll take. I tell you what. If you want to put the tea party tea as your winner, I will definitely accept that. It was a solid contender. And I love me a subtle bubblegum flavor. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the Waddle Seed really won it for me. So props to the rabbit hole. But how exciting. I'm very excited for, for this massive selection from Teetonic. It's going to take us quite a while to plow through them all, I think. Yeah. It's also the end of another era <laughs> um, today uh, as we give away our last bag of Elmstock tea, which we didn't even... You know, we've reviewed them all, but we haven't given them all away. So if you remember from episode four, we reviewed the chai masala from Elmstock, which we loved. And uh, we're giving that away this week. So, Michael, how can we win ourselves a bag? We have two bags to give away. How do we do that? So all you have to do, uh, it's a nice and simple giveaway this week. So all you have to do is find either the post from this week's episode, uh, mentioning episode five, and with a, with a little preview of our episode, as you may have seen on our Instagram or our Facebook, you can find that post and tag two friends who don't listen to the show in that post. That's all you have to do. Just tag them on Facebook or on Instagram. Or if you see a giveaway post uh, that talks about this tea, the chai masala from Elmstock, you can tag your friends on that post as well. We're going to check both of those posts. So the episode post or the giveaway post, tag two friends on Instagram or Facebook. That's right. And you can enter as many times as you like. Uh, the The giveaway post will come up later in the week. So get in quick with the uh, episode preview post to, for more chances. Absolutely. Okay. Well, it's been a fantastic week. Next week, we'll be getting to our third saga in, well, our third and final saga in the Tea Travel Tales. But up until then, we are While You Were Sleeping on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm 
at Michael Mandelios on Instagram. And I'm at Hayden Rogers on Instagram. And you can always follow That's Not Canon Productions on Instagram or Facebook. And you can support the podcast network on patreon.com slash that's not canon. Thanks for joining us, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Tea infinity and beyond. While You Were Steeping is a That's Not Canon Productions podcast. For more information, head to that'snotcanon.com. Canon with one N.